Chapter One of the Book of Love by Paolo Mantecazza. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One: Love in Plants and Animals, Part One. Arcadians, metaphysicians, and all adorers of the past are cursing every day and every hour the modern mania of comparing human things to living beings, and call for anathemas against this absurd and sacrilegious profanation of the man-god. Comparative anatomy, physiology, and psychology are for these gentlemen nothing but different forms of a strange aberration of the human mind, something capricious and morbid, which by the continual comparison of man and beast, brutalizes us, prostitutes us, and sends us back with a new insanity to the bestial Olympus of men with animal members, and of human grafts set on the flesh of the Son of God. According to those most exalted and supercilious gentlemen, these are psychic maladies not to be discussed, but cured by contempt and ridicule. They are the hysterics of thought, which disappear with the generation that has seen them rise from the corrupt entrails of the human family. But man does not lower himself by comparing himself with beings that are the matrix from which he came. He does not degrade himself by scenting the earth from which you, also you, O oh super gentlemen, say we have been moulded and which is ever the frame supporting us. The true metaphysics, if this word has still any meaning, was created by modern science, which by the boldest comparisons of the simplest things with the most complex, of the smallest with the greatest, extracts the subtile from the subtile, and under the motley appearance of the form reveals the only law that governs them. We are going to seek in the limbus of living beings the crepuscules of the highest human things. Bowing our head modestly before the simplicity of laws which govern and control such a wealth of forms, let us return to the reality of things, feeling neither dejected nor ashamed of ourselves, but satisfied with having known how to read the notes of harmony written in the world of dwarfs and giants. Our pride will find sufficient satisfaction, after so many comparisons, in realizing that we are first among all living beings. No spectacle of nature is more splendid, more admirable than that of the loves of plants and of animals. Nature could not write more fascinating music with a less number of notes, and no other phenomenon of life can resemble that of generation in profusion of forms, lavishness of artifices, inexhaustible conception of mechanisms. One would say that where the reproductive gemellae are attracted, where life reconcentrates its best part to renovate itself with a new impetus, there new and strange energies are developed, and the forces of nature appear with the most gigantic pomp, the most gorgeous luxury. In every other function, nature, like an economical housewife, seeks the useful and often is satisfied with the necessary. She simplifies the mechanisms, removes the attritions and through the simplest ways attains her aim. But she is not content with the good and the true for generation, and surrounding the nest of love with a large profusion of aesthetic elements, she exhausts every resource to prepare a feast for the life which renews itself. It is around the flower that nearly always the most exquisite beauty of form, the most inebriating seductions of perfume, the most varied tints of the painter's palette are interwoven. How many treasures of aesthetic force in lily and in a rose! And all that luxury to do honour to the love of a day, the love of an hour, and all the splendour of nuptial robe, a thousand times more beautiful than human industry could produce, to screen the virginal kiss of an anther and a pistol. 
and jumping from the lily and the rose to the summits of the animal world, how many splendors of fancy, how many flashes of passion, what an interlacement of elements, to make a garland for the kiss of a man and a woman. Run, fly, on a spring day, among the blossoming beds of a garden, among the thousand amorous corollas of the flowers. Shake the severe boughs of the cypress and of the pine. Plunge your feet into the soft, wet carpet of valesnerias. Let your eyes penetrate into the humid recesses of the barks and the mossy labyrinths of the granite. And everywhere a warm circumfusion of pollen, spores and antheridia will tell your flaming heart that in the world of plants, among the perfumes of the corollas and the emeralds of the seaweeds, love exists in a thousand ways. And the atmosphere is all pervaded with the warm, inebriating sparks, which on the wings of the winds and of the insects and in the rays of the sun, diffuse everywhere an amorous, voluptuous wave. The love of flowers is mute in the soft perfume of their corollas, but in many of them silence does not prevent tender blandishments and fervent embraces. Many plants, always immovable, have convulsions in their flowers. Always cold, they flame up in the calyx of their loves. Often they love only once a year, but what a profusion of embraces, what a fecundity of pollen and seed! Shake with your hand a single branch of the juniper or of the blossoming pine, and you will immediately see the air darken with a cloud of fruitful dust. Entire forests love at one time, and for miles and miles they fill the air with voluptuous murmurs. More than once do the winds carry clouds of pollen, and the wanton rain washes and purifies the atmosphere, and tinges itself all with the amorous dust. And without jealousy or rancors, in the shade of the blossoming pines, and among the stamens of enamored flowers, in every cloud of grass, in every cavern of mountain, in every fissure of rock, in every bed of seaweeds, in the deep waves of the ocean, and in the drops of water oozing from the glaciers, in the somberest darkness of mines and in the infinite sky, the animals interweave their loves. So that in every part of the globe, and in every hour of the day and of the night, every ray of the sun warms and contemplates millions of embraces, while every ray of the moon guides the nocturnal lovers to a thousand more intimate blandishments. If it is true that a leaf falls from the tree of life every second and dies, then at every moment a new Gemma is born. And for every Gemma, how many embraces? For every newborn, how many loves? The flowers planted in the ground of a cemetery appeal to me as the noblest form of the cult of the dead. For if our planet is a vast cemetery, where every atom of time buries an atom that was living once, this earth is all a nest of love, in which every zephyr carries to our ear a sigh of voluptuousness, and the harmony of the ether, a dream of the ancient poets, is nothing perhaps but the sum of all the kisses exchanged among the living creatures. If the anatomist and the physiologist discover in the study of generation in the various animals some precious materials to mark the highest laws of the morphology of the living beings, the psychologist finds in the loves of brutes sketched nearly all the elements that man has gathered under his robust wings. No function is more adapted than love to contemplate the unique type and the infinite legion of its forms, to admire a unique conception developed in a thousand different tongues. No sooner has sex made its appearance than the male quickly distinguishes himself by his aggressive character. 
With few exceptions, it is the male that seeks, conquers, and keeps the prey. Glance over the pages of Darwin's work on sexual selection, and you will see how many weapons nature has given to males to conquer and keep their mates. Even in plants, it is the pollen that goes in search of the ovulum, the ovulum that awaits the spark that is to fecundate it. In the most simple of animal forms, where the male and female live and die fettered to the spot that saw their birth, it is the virile element that is always carried there, where the germ awaits it. This is the first dogma that governs the religion of love in the entire world of the living, and when all high races look with contempt upon the woman who attacks and the man who flees, they only protest against the violation of one of the most tyrannical laws which men and mollusks, women and pistols, cannot evade. Man summarizes all the forms of the living nature, so that we are frequently tempted to affirm that whatever of human is in him is the greatest synthesis of all the minor forms of the living, and that he is precisely the first because under the bark of his individuality all the forces are gathered within him, from the secondary to the last, and the same phenomenon we observe in the psychical elements of his loves. Pigeons, even when intermingled with the most varied breeds, are seldom unfaithful to their mates, and although the male, in a rare whim, may break the vow of fidelity, he quickly returns to the dear nuptial bed of his spouse. Darwin kept some pigeons of different breeds shut up in the same place for a long time, and there was never a bastard among them. Do we not also find among men splendid examples of the most faithful monogamy, and do you not recognize it as the social basis in almost all the superior races? The antelope of South Africa has up to a dozen mates, and the antilope saiga of Asia more than a hundred. But have we not the small and hypocritical polygamies of modern society, and those most splendid and impudent of the Orientals? Have we not in men, as in very many animals, females who submit to love as to a duty, and males on whom love must be imposed? Have we not levitimism at the very side of chastity? Have we not in the world of man all the lasciviousness, all the ardours, all the possibilities of lewdness of the animal's world? Several fulminous forms of love, which last no longer than the flash of the lightning, not infrequently occur among men, as the cold, long-lasting kisses of many insects are an amorous practice of various human temperaments, and fiery, cruel jealousies and bloody battles are seen common to men and brutes. Nor is death for love an exclusive privilege of man. The few and coarse passions of animals are all carried as a holocaust to the altar of generation, while man carries to it all the adders of his rich nature all the infinite forces which he has drawn from the great womb of the living beings, and which he has centuplicated with the accumulations of his hundred civilizations. The chaffinch, in the contests of amorous song, more than once falls from the tree on which he is singing his erotic hymn, smothered by pulmonary apoplexy, just as many a poet beholds the lyre of his genius and the chords of his life break at the feet of a woman. In the silence of the shady thickets, the nightingale, exhausted, swoons with love and fatigue, and dies for having been unable to vanquish a more fortunate rival in melody and strength of notes. And hundreds and hundreds of times, in the sombre labyrinths of life, the human lover dies in the battles of an unhappy love, and he too dies because he could not sing louder and sweeter than his rival, 
nor is coquetry peculiar to the human female only no woman in the world will ever be the equal of a female canary in the wicked art with which she resists the impatient ardors of her companion and the thousand travesties with which in the feminine world a yes is concealed under a no are but pallid imitations of the refined coquetry the simulated flights the amorous bitings and the hundred thousand cajoleries of the world of animals as to the aesthetic elements which nature has lavished upon the loves of living beings they are such and so many that the richest palette would be insufficient to depict them or the poet's words to describe them here are two pictures from my meagre collection end of chapter one part one